Hey, everybody. Really great show this morning. Some great speakers. NFT God makes a return. We have Jesse on stage. We have Art So Fly. We cover a lot of different topics from ENS domains to fine art in the NFT space with GM Dow and Goda to intellectual property rights in NFTs, specifically with... Uh, projects like Board Ape Yacht Club that give their IP rights, CryptoPunks, and then different IP plays like Akutars. Overall, it's a fantastic show. Hope you enjoy it. It is what it is, ladies and gentlemen, and this is the NFT Morning Show. It is Monday, September 12th. We are back. We do this show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time each and every week. Even had a little bit of an MMA show Saturday night for the Mixed Martial Art event, the UFC promotion. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited to hear if Nick has any feedback on that one. But anyway, this show is focused on the NFT space, specifically the NFT market. We want to know what's going on with projects projects going up, what's going on with projects going down, and all of the stories of the NFT space. I'm P.O. here with my co-host Nifty Nick, the loudest mouth in the NFT space. No, I'm just kidding. He's a badass and he's still repping that crypto punk. Signal, the best writer in the NFT space, Ben Jammin, an absolute OG repping gutter gang today. King Kicks, the CEO of Crypto Raiders, one of the rising NFT gaming operations. Easy Eats Bodega, uh, a rising star on the Solana side and the host of Solana Made Easy. NFT God, he's no slouch, has a pretty dope newsletter himself. Spencer, what a moonbird. Can't wait to hear about that one. And then, of course, Manny and Quad, uh, really excited to get things kicked off here. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, Nick, how's your morning going? Ah, uh, man. Well, I was reminded of... James Brown listening to that in my mother's womb. It was a favorite memory from my childhood. And uh, man, it just brought back a lot of memories sitting uh, next to my mother in her womb. Uh, additionally, um, it was good. I did a 45 minute uh, workout this morning. I think I, it, the, like, I don't know if it's a good idea to do it every single morning to go so ham, but here I am doing it. <laughs> You know, um, there's like a fine line of uh, effectiveness here in terms of my mental state. One just makes me exhausted. The other makes me pumped up and I'm trying to figure out where I stand at this moment uh, on that front. I also hopped onto the Maury P Povich uh, Twitter space last night. I'm not sure if you uh, saw that one that was hosted by um, Alex uh, Shillin Villain and also Easy was there as well. Uh, and there was definitely some chairs being thrown around. So that was exciting. Um, and despite my uh, flop uh, kicks with the uh, misplayed defense in my fantasy sports, uh, looks like I'm a win this week. So feeling pretty good about that one. Yeah, I think you literally have a 100% chance of winning if I read the numbers right. It says 97%, and that, that I think that's uh, calculating if uh, Denver's defense goes negative, which is something that has been known to happen. But, well, that, uh, yeah. Well, damn. I mean, so first of all, Nick, we might have to get a fitness professional on the show just to confirm whether or not you're going too hard. Somebody in our Discord said Nick is catching up to, to Drifter shoots to Drift's 1,000 morning push-ups. Do you feel like you're giving Drift a run for his money in the fitness department, uh, department these days? Uh, no, there's been no strength integrated into this, so I'm just burning away all of my muscles. 
Um, so no. Uh, in, in fact, I'm I'm compromising my body with the degree of cardio that I'm doing is my expectation. So I may have to take off a couple of weeks due to sickness resulting from this uh, activity. But you know, at least my resting heart rate will hopefully be a little bit lower. <laughs> and and what was the story with this Maury Povich show? When you said that, I thought you you meant literally Maury Povich did a Twitter space, and I was gonna be like, oh damn, like that's that's bullish for the platform. But wait, Alex was hosting a, a drama show. It, it wasn't a drama. It's literally every other show uh, that he hosts. But I hopped on. I apparently like you can't tell whether or not uh, there's anyone's being serious. My assumption there every time I go in is no. Like if th that's like the foundation, that's the format. So I, and I don't know if like that's a improper sort of like initial expectation of going in there and being like, I can't tell what's who's serious and who isn't. And there was a lawyer who was on stage who seemed actually genuinely she was like she, she was providing real commentary on whether or not, uh, is it Nate Silver? Uh, I forget the who it was. Nate Rivers. Nate Rivers. Nate Rivers. There Silver? you go. No, sorry, Nate Silver is five thirty eight. <laughs> but um, so Nate Rivers was like wrote some tweet about the CryptoPunks Tiffany's thing and IP. Frankly, like the least like important story of like mankind, like uh, or, or humanity, I should say. That was uh, gender specific, but. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's a little ludicrous. Like, anyways, it it was just a conversation about like whether or not you know the the Tiffany Tiffany's had basically uh, taken all of CryptoPunk's IP rights as a result of it. Anyways, um, the uh, it it was irrelevant. Like, it didn't really matter. But this lawyer was getting very serious about it, and then the tone of everybody, which was not serious was uh, there was an, uh, another uh, woman on stage who said, I don't know, she just felt uh, that it, people were being disrespectful was her quote. And I was like, have you listened to this space? I feel like the, <laughs> what it is is basically when people roll around spaces and then they just raise their hand and then they come up with no context whatsoever for what that space is. And then they're just like, Man, these people are very dis disrespectful. <laughs> that, that's the wrong. That's the wrong show to just roll into. I mean, I remember when we had that politician. He said that he was space uh, space surfing, and he just he was very interested in coming on stage. He kept raising his hand, so I let him on stage, and you know, we we definitely like you know we gave him a little bit of a hard time. But compared to to Shill and Villain, I feel like you know th that's a totally <laughs> different that that's a different level. I mean. Yeah, it it was a little ludicrous, and uh, uh, board um, DM me, uh, well, formerly board Elon Musk. Now I don't know, is he board.eth or something like that? Yeah, board.eth. Anyways, he he DM me. He, he was the one that called it Maury Povich Twitter, and I was like, man, that's <laughs> a really good, like, that's a good uh, name. And I feel like if you redid that space with just the name Maury Povich Twitter then basically you'd end up with a bunch of people in the room just like talking shit and being like, okay, we're going to do a, a test. You are not the father. <laughs> and like basically <laughs> ju just go through that sequence. So anyways, that was a long uh, tangent about that space, but any, any, yeah, I mean, it's still entertaining. <laughs> um, but I also felt a little bit negative about it. Cause then I'm like, 
am I just being a dick like to this person and they, because they don't like realize what the format is? I, I don't know who's in the wrong in that scenario. Well, so wait, you were okay. You were on stage. So you were on stage, like giving people a hard time. I went on stage and I was just basically saying that, uh, you know, that how I was poking fun at how disrespectful Nate Rivers was to underline the legal agreement in red lines without being a lawyer. And thereby he was, you know, uh, misrepresenting himself as a legal representative and that that's something that one should never do. And it's just disrespectful to the legal profession as a whole. So I just went off on some improvised tangent about how ridiculous it was. Anyways, it was completely irrelevant. It like didn't matter. But uh, the lawyer there was just like, w w like really took offense to what I was saying. And then all, because, uh, and she like just left. And then the, uh, <laughs> and then the, the remaining uh, woman on stage who was saying that, who just kind of be like, was, was being judgmental over Nate Rivers, just didn't get the fact that I think no one was taking themselves seriously, but like everybody, like a couple of other people were, and it's hard to operate in that environment. You know, like it's not clear when someone is, if someone's joking or being sarcastic and you're not already aware of that fact when you walk in, then it can be very jarring. And then I'm like, I don't know, am I contributing to this? I ended up just hopping off stage because I was like, ah, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, I wanted to make a joke about how the toxicity on Twitter centers with that space and that, and it's just spreading out like a disease. <laughs> but, but I was, I was going to just make it as a joke. But then I was just like, am I contributing to this? I don't know. Like this was, <laughs> this was fun, but yeah, anywho, that, that's what was going on. Well, it sounds like we need to get a Nick at night, Maury Povich Twitter show. I feel like that, uh, I feel like I can sense that you're inspired and that would be a lot of fun. I don't really know I mean, how we would do it if people aren't uh, potentially getting pregnant, but you never know. Uh, well, are they going to like, I, okay, well, first, people will be getting pregnant, but uh, just well, but, but I mean, with show, each other, just, like in a decentralized way, I feel like if one person's on the Twitter space in Illinois so, and another person's in Sacramento, the odds of pregnancy are, are pretty limited. I mean, I like I like that you gave location to it, though. Someone dials in and is like, uh, where are you calling in? I'm calling in from Illinois, and I just wanted to say, you know, last night I had, you, you know, I can tell that I got pregnant. And you're like, sorry, <laughs> what? And then uh, I just know that I got pregnant last night. And then you go on some whole tangent. I don't know where it's going with that, but my, my crypto kitty, your crypto kitty in the alley. And uh, I don't know. That's, that's the last market. The magic yeah, happened. Dude, let me tell you, uh, the, the crypto kitties collectors spent uh, the bear market sexless. And that was like the outcome of that situation. <laughs> so I don't know if we can invite them onto the market. I don't know. There's, there's like, Four million crypto kitties because they bred so much. So I, they were definitely having sex at some point. Uh, that's true. Yeah, you, you raise a good point. At that, just statistically speaking, well, or or it could have been owned by. Do you know how many people actually owned it though? I don't think it was four million people. No, it definitely wasn't. It was the, that that was the mechanic for crypto kitties, and that like in the 2017 like like bull run, the whole thing with crypto kitties was like, oh man, like we're gonna get to breeding. And then your kitties will get together and they'll breed up, but they bred like way too many of them. And then supply went way too high. It was like the issue. And yes. so like it, it was that market's version of like, oh, we're going to build a game. So it's virtual breeding <laughs> and you can go in and be like, you are not the father of this crypto kitty. Exactly. <laughs>
That, that's going to be Nick's show. I think, well, look, we've been, we've been seeing Nick experiment with uh, the solo shows and people seem to really like them. I mean, I, I must say Nick does a really great job just kind of running through uh, the news stories, almost uh, Bill Burr-esque performances that we've seen there with the solo podcast. Maybe the next show uh, for Nick is going to be a Maury Povich show. We'll just have to figure out how to, you know, crack that decentralized code signal uh, across. <laughs> I the- just want to say, we're going to tell the investors, we're going to be like, hey guys, we realize this format is really working uh and there's we've just been playing out violence live on these stages don't worry it's for the better of of our business i gotta say that you know we're just gonna we're gonna have to lean in signal across the pond is there is there any trashy tv like maury povich or, or jerry springer that we have here in the states yeah we used to get jerry springer and um what was that judge that we had all your shows we had all your shows just translated and there was one called jeremy kyle which was brilliant it was i mean i don't even know where to meet these people but they'd come on and be like i saw you slept with my girlfriend because i was filming you and i had a hard pi and i saw it man i saw it i saw you and then and then what they do is um the boyfriend is in a booth backstage and he can't hear this and then they uh bring him out on stage and jeremy is like so Stephen, um the reason why you're here today is because your girlfriend would like to confront you about your dating relationships and behavior is there anything you have to say and then steve is like nah man i've been good man i've been good to her since day one i've got her argos jewelry i've got her hairdresser appointment that's why her hair's so blonde i love her i love her with all my heart she's my baby girl and then they roll the film with the person cheating and then the girlfriend normally beats them up in their face. This is all based off the shows that come from your end on your side of the pond. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant daytime TV. It, it sounds like it. And it also sounds like I'd rather watch your version just because of the cultural that was difference. so good. Yeah, that was so that, good. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I need more of those accents of those people that are on the, that are on the show. And just playing out that entire uh, sketch. Mate, I'll do, I'll do the entire morning show in this accent, or I can do like, oh my god, what are you talking about, Nick? What are you talking about? What do you <laughs> mean? What are you telling? Are you telling me that Moonbirds are under Teddy? Fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm, yeah, like I, I watch like Great British Baking Show. You hear the the distinction and accents. That, that was absolutely hilarious, Sig. Um, well, yeah, I guess we, we should start talking about NFTs. It is an NFT show. Uh, Sig just made a reference to Moonbirds under 10 ETH. That's definitely one of the stories of the NFT market that we have to cover over the weekend. There was a point where Moonbirds were dumping and oddities were pumping. It was kind of a weird, a weird setup in the market. I want to definitely talk about it. Um, so Kix is going to take away the weather report, but before we do that i mean we've got manny v with his hand raised manny what's on your mind i'll, I'll let you guys do the other report but dude they were trading ens style domains on dot soul all weekend and like four digits were pumping and that's usually the top signal that is like the beginning <laughs> of the end man so i'm just like oh my god so i'm trying to get full lick here the only things that i'm like holding are the things that i like but it's uh, about to get ugly but well, we got to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. you know, Utes, Utes was essentially like looking like an other D type event if you kind of frame it that way. And then you get the, the ENS style pump. Jesse, you raise your hand. Yeah, I mean, it looks like from what I can tell that, first of all, you're, you're a really nifty guy, PR. I just want to say, and this is a really nifty show. 
Um, <laughs> I, I hope you're nifty forever. But um, uh, yeah, I've, been, I've, I've finally made the, the jump to Seoul based on, you know, uh, FOMOing in on, on all the, the easy eats craze and utes and everything. And it is, it is for all the people in the, in the show, in the, the portal main chat, um, who have been like, Oh man, you know, it's not like the old days, NFTs, you know, it, it used to, used to be so fun. There's nothing to play. Like you literally just go to the soul channel and like you go in there and it's just kind of like, um, possums, possums, exclamation point. Are we in a possums? And it's like it's <laughs> really, really jarring having not been. It's like it's like I'm a it's like I have ADHD and I I, I I lost my meds. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm like trying to ask a question about like SPL, like tokens. And they're like trees. We're just buying trees right now. We'll get back <laughs> to you. And I'm like, all right, OK, I'll buy that. So I buy a tree at like point oh three. But yeah, it's like it's like my brain is has to be like rewired because it's been so long. I don't think I can do it anymore. It's like such a a chaotic lifestyle but just in terms of just in terms of what uh what was just said about ens being the top it does seem like they're lagging and i think easy's made this point on twitter like three or six behind the three or six months behind the east soul the, the ETH market where it's kind of like it's kind of youths is kind of like uh has all this optimism it can, it can be anything and and they don't realize now okay well now you has to actually like do something and you know they're going to make a few mistakes, and you know they're not going to they're you know they're not going to just generate a product that's like you know the next Apple or Google, and it's it just seems kind of like funny. The writing's kind of on the wall, so I think they're going to probably have a, a more you know contracted version of what we saw with ETH over the next few months. But uh, we'll see. I mean, the merge is looming, so that's just such a wild card for everything. If the merge goes well, that's going to be things will will I think you know everybody will be attracted to ETH NFTs. If the, if the merge doesn't go well, I think Sol could benefit and people be like, well, listen, while this craziness is going on and they can't figure out the merge, like Sol could benefit. But um, it really was, it really is wild over there in Soul land. I mean, you could say that again. Uh, I tried to dip my toe back in during Utes week. And that's, I mean, it's always the worst time to dip your toe in is uh, if you literally come in during the hype cycle. It's like the same thing as, you know, my normie friends that will, you know, ping about NFTs when other deets coming out. And it's just a very dangerous time in the market. I want to hear from Easy and Manny um, about, uh, you know, the the kind of state of affairs with Soul and maybe some hindsight, you know, post Utes here now that we've been able to take a step back and kind of you know look at the market uh ben you just raised your hand what's going on yeah gmpo I, I just wanted to speak as the resident solana og expert here <laughs> on the team that i really have enjoyed you know messing with easy and the gang in the soul trades channel and it, it kind of feels like when we first got into you know aping into eth stuff where everyone's excited about new things popping up there's always something different there's a ton of rugs everywhere but there's definitely excitement and the the amount of trades that you make comparative to the way you would in ETH just really makes the like the high volume and environment a lot more interesting even though it's it's very volatile and easy can attest to this but the the way people undercut is like to the 10th decimal like it's it's so hysterical how they do it but yeah, just wanted to, to comment as the, the long-time OG of Solana on the team. 
I mean, that's what everybody says. Everyone's like, when we think Solana, we specifically think Ben Jamin. Like, if you just ask any Solana person in the NFT space, like, hey, who do you think of when you think of, like, Solana NFTs? They're like, Ben. Uh, but uh, it, it is, like, look, it's fun, right? Like, Solana NFTs are fun. That's the bottom line. And people are more excited, more interested, more game, it seems like, to participate there. Uh, we, that's kind of been a theme of the show that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Easy, you raise your hand during that. Do you have a comment uh, towards your your fellow Solana OG, Ben? Yeah, as the net new Solana user here, who's uh, just really trying to get familiar <laughs> with the platform, it's uh, it's electric, man. I mean, we do see some things that kind of like start first. Like we did see the 0% royalty conversation really take off. And then PseudoSwap launched on ETH. But now we have like this dot .soul pump going on, which when we saw it on ETH, I was like, oh shit, like this is the top. Uh, we're still getting like a bunch of 0% royalty mint. So it seems like it's kind of trending towards that free mint meta we saw the last couple months. But to, to Jesse's point, like there's still a bunch of just garbage mints and just hype and stuff and people are constantly flipping still. The market's it's, it's certainly alive. I mean, yesterday we finally saw it happen. There was more volume on Solana NFTs than ETH NFTs. Uh, I think it was 10 million to 8 million. So that was a huge win in my eyes. Uh, and we're still seeing Magic Eden have, I think they just did two and a half X uh, all time for total number of transactions. So it's clear that it's still growing at like a crazy rate. I mean, to your point too, the YouTube's been almost entirely a Solana YouTube at this point. I'm competing with you guys, it feels like. So uh, it's a lot of fun <laughs> that people are finally kind of diving in and giving a swing on it. But like at the same time, I think this merge stuff is going to be interesting. I think that's a big catalyst for ETH that could kind of drive some more volume back there. There's just a lot going on. And uh, I'm just happy that it's finally kind of getting its, uh, its, its, its roses here. I'm sure it'll be no time before we're just literally lighting money on fire on YouTube, live trading Solana. I can, I mean, it's, I think it's an, an inevitability. I think, like, to talk about, in hindsight, it was inevitable. I feel like we're going to take 8K. I mean, think about it. Easy. If, if we took, like, seven grand and started trading it on Solana, you can buy a lot of shit. Like, Bro, we could, we do could a lot burn of... seven grand in, like, 15 minutes if we really wanted to. Well, like... Sure. Yeah, but, you know, if we're operating on, like, the low to mid side of the market, couldn't we make that last a while? Absolutely. Dude, seven grand on Seoul, we could make that last, a, like, a long time. Like, dude, <laughs> if you give us 500 bucks, we could make that last a long time on Seoul. Like, come on now. The, the part, I mean, we could talk about this. The part about Seoul that I'm a little uncomfortable with is that there's a legitimate probability that any given NFT collection that you buy could be like a full tilt rug, right? That's like the reputation that Solana has is that the rug pulls. And in theory, a rug pull goes to zero. So your downside risk is always zero. But yeah, but you have the D-rug meta. You forget about this on Seoul. <laughs> you always catch a D-rug pump that lets you get out right before the real rug happens. <laughs> well fair enough i just worry like the upside's literally like 400 bucks sometimes and the downside is like whatever money you put in just goes to zero i mean we got mike on stage we'll be talking about so he's repping a shrimp but uh we, we we're gonna get to what the weather report in just a minute uh art so fly came on stage uh you know friend of the show a uh, friend of the business uh one of the founders of dgen arcade where we had our first ever live show uh you know what's going on amigo Good morning, GM, GM, and uh, hope everybody is well. P.O. Nick, nice to see you. So you guys, you know, I forget who mentioned just now, it kind of triggered me, you know, with the NS domains. And something I don't quite grasp, maybe it's been discussed, but if anybody could explain why are four digits worth so much, right? So, so I understand, and I love ENS, and I think it's, you know, people registering 
domain, you know, ENS domains that are popular, you know, going back to the dot-com boom, you know, whoever way back when had the foresight to register some of these domains um, and sell them for millions and millions of dollars. But, you know, I'm looking right now, just as I put my hand up, and I'm typing like 9876.com, 000.com, you know, all like the popular four-digit ENS domains, and none of them exist in the dot-com era. Oh, so, so there's... There's a really simple answer to this one. So the reason that four digits um, are pumping, well, two, two things. First of all, it's really difficult right now to search like a lot of different stuff. And so the, the, the numbers are easier to group together. But the real thing with four digits is that all of the 10K collections are numbered as four digits. So you are punk number, whatever, four eight number, whatever. And a lot of people's thesis is that people will want a paired ENS domain domain with the number of their punk or board ape when they're building their brand. Hey, and to add on to that, uh, Spotty Wi-Fi bought his punk number for like 5.2 something ETH like yesterday. Well, there you go. I mean, that is part of it, I think, right? Yeah, it makes sense, but I'm calling hogwash on the whole thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't play. I agree. It's complete bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. I'll raise that with a boulder dash and a rubbish. <laughs> I mean, anyway, look. That's, that, that's my rant for that. I just got triggered because I'm, and yeah, it was actually Timos who posted it the other day, and I can't stand any of his posts and and dislike them all. But this one made sense. It was like, <laughs> when was the last time any of you went to a four digit dot com website? And it's just, it's like, and I get it. You want the the four digits that your PFP represents, but I mean, come on. I mean, it, it's bullshit. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to reach our website, just go to 4754.com. Uh, that's a hot domain. We had to pay 100 k for that. It was really, really tough. You know, it's more expensive than cash.com, for example. Cash.com is a lot cheaper than 7297.com. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, we got to get into the weather report. That we've literally kept the king waiting. This is insane. I mean, what a humble and, and respectful king for him to allow us to keep him waiting. Uh, but without any further ado, King Kicks, please take it away with the weather report. Yes, yes. My father always told me, do not stop a jester while he's dancing in the court. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what's up? It's Monday, 12th of September. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Let's dive into the weather report. So uh, over the last uh, day, in terms of marketplace volume, we have OpenSea at 11 million, Magic Eden just shy of 4 million. Um, we have Flow at 2.65, and then X2, Y2, and LooksRay are both around 2 million. Uh, what's really interesting is the amount of traders. On OpenSea, we saw 38,000. On Magic Eden, we saw 30,000. Um, so very close there. On the seven-day, Magic Eden was half of OpenSea's volume, so lots of activity going on over there. When we look at the leaderboards in the NFT market, we see Apes right around 73, Mutants at 12.5, Punks at 62, Moonbirds at 10, Doodles at 7.1, and Clonex down to 5.6. So we're seeing some pullbacks in some of the leaders in the market. Um, in terms of some interesting news events over the past 24 hours, we have Apes and Mutants uh, back up top leading OpenSea ranks. They hadn't been up there in a few days. 
Um, and then we have the ABC Soul Project continuing to have strong volume in the top three. Um, overall market, uh, you know, volume on the weekend was fairly flat. Um, also had an interesting tweet from Cirrus, who once again flagged Ben Dow, noted that if eight floor drops to 62, a total of 80 ape liquidations uh, auctions will be triggered. They're just, you know, 15, 20% away from there. So it's not like it's in the danger zone just yet. Akutars by Micah Johnson was in the headlines over the weekend. They exhibited at Disney's D23 event, which is where all of the big Disney news is announced from the likes of, you know, Marvel, Lucasfilm, all of them. Um, so Aku was the only non-Disney IP at this event, which is pretty cool. And big collectors like Pranksy continue to sweep the floor and bolster their collection. Pranksy actually has over 200 Akutars right now. The floor in Akutars is actually holding up uh, pretty fairly over the past month or so, while a lot of other things are bleeding. That floor is at 0 0.47. Um, back over to Solana, the Utes team uh, delayed the reveal to an unknown date in the future. Frank is taking some time away from the keyboard to solve Utes issues. Despite that, uh, the floor on Utes has recovered to nearly 150 soul. It dropped down to a low of like 120 soul over the weekend. Uh, back over to Ethereum, Guttercat Gang in the news. We got Ben Jammin up here repping one of those. Uh, they had a DNA 2 mint that sold out. Team generated some money with the release of the vials, but they did not dilute the total number of NFTs in the ecosystem. That's because there's uh, some burning and sacrificing of the other NFTs involved. So it's not going to increase their supply. So a pretty interesting model there. Community was happy with the mint overall. Floor on the DNA 2 vials is 0 0.26 ETH. And uh, action over there um, on the Guttercat ecosystem still looking strong. A couple uh, of just quick notes on OpenSea trending uh, data. So we have uh, over the weekend in Ethereum, we hit new lows on the three months for OpenSea volume. Uh, that, that could be due to people... Uh, looking ahead to the merge and maybe buying less, but it also looks like it's just continuing to trend down. Also in USD, we had some pretty low volume uh, when you look at the 90-day. And then when you look at the uh, total amount of monthly volume for September, we are at 137 million, almost halfway through the month. It's looking like we're going to have around the same volume as July of last year at 328 million for the month. Uh, July is arguably when the massive NFT bull run um, took off uh, last year. And if you think we're down bad, don't worry. OpenSea is down bad with us too. Last month, they only generated $12 million in fees. This month, it looks like they'll only generate about $7 million in fees that's down from $387 million in fees in January. So they're down bad too. Quick look over at crypto, Bitcoin regaining some strength, surging above 22K. ETH is chopping in the 1750 range ahead of the merge. Saw a nice pump in Solana as well. Solana up to 38 over the past 24 hours. That was a 10% gain. So seeing some movement in the crypto space, 
mostly bullish on the crypto side, bearish on the NFT side. Back to you in the studio. Absolutely electric weather report. Got to give props to Signal for assisting with the writing of that. As always, uh, you can subscribe to the Nifty Daily Digest at thenifty.com. That's written by Signal each and every day. That just got me pumped up. That's what I'm fucking talking about. Uh, some other stories from the Nifty Daily Digest. Vitalik Buterin is releasing a new book, Proof of Stake, on September 27th, 2022. And all pre-orders will receive a free sign digital copy nft now also uh dropped an exclusive story that jim carrey secretly released nfts on foundation under his web3 alias string beans that sounds like something jim carrey would do not sure if the nft market really cares about that uh, another funding round announcement kicks might know about this revolving games raised 13.2 million bucks Woo! A lot of money to make blockchain games with ex-Rockstar co-founder Dan Hauser as an advisor. The game's target traditional gamers are free to play and will only feature NFTs when they enhance the game experience. Sounds like people are taking cues from old Gabe from Digidaigaku about the uh, you know free-to-play uh, NFT strategy. And last but not least, and like, like Kix was talking about, like we've been talking about, NFT mints on Solana have surged to an all-time high. So we're seeing Solana continue to grow and more people moving towards that blockchain for their NFT escapades. So we got Micah and Manny who are both soul boys these days with their hands raised. I'll throw to Micah. What's going on, amigo? Well, first off, I don't appreciate that you said all NFTs are going to zero and then immediately highlighted my shrimp. As potentially accurate as that is, it's still hurt deep down. Um, but then secondly... <laughs> Secondly, I mean, it's been wild on Solana. Uh, I, I actually traded, I traded those four-digit, like the, the Discord mentioned the four-digit thing you could do on Bonfita. So that night, I like, the night they sold out, I bought like six of them and then just immediately flipped them for a little bit more. But a lot of this stuff, I'm a little worried, is just momentum from ETH traders finding a cheaper way to get their like trading fix. So I'm a little worried, like, Compared to new people coming into NFTs and like additional excitement and additional funds, I'm a little worried that it's just ETH people getting their fix on Solana and uh, and the underlying like total excitement for NFTs hasn't changed much. So I am a little scared about sustainability of a lot of these things, um, including the the domains on Dot Soul because it's really just people trying to relive the fantasy that they got into four-digit ENS domains and saw that same pump. Um, so I think, personally, I'm very, like, a little bit nervous to make any moves. And I'm actually, I talked about this in my, uh, in my like, mastermind session. I always want to go to where the next thing is. And I'm almost wondering if the next thing is all the people who liquidated their stuff on the Ethereum side um, in order to get Soul to play around this new area. I kind of want to go in and scoop the stuff that they left behind. So I think people aren't getting ape token for staking. So that dumped a lot, although it did recently pump. Uh, other deeds is, is down to like 1.6. So I'm kind of curious if the play here is, well, everyone's excited and partying over on Solana, go back and pick up the toys that they discarded on Ethereum so that when they rediscover that, uh, they're paying you the premium. So I don't know if I have any thoughts on that, but I'm, I'm kind of starting to, to look to pivot away because everyone's already at this party on Solana. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the smart thing to do. And plus, you already have Solana experience. You've done well on the Solana side. You've been trading there for, I don't know, what feels like maybe six months now. Uh, you know, Other Deed is one of those collections where you just feel like there's got to be some sort of price that's the bottom. Is it 1.66? That's unclear. I think the bottom that we've seen so far is something like 1.4. If anybody else knows that information, you know, definitely correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, that's one of the ones on my list. Nick, you have your hand raised. What's going on? I was just thinking about, so Solana, the other day I tweeted about how the volume is catching up with ETH. Now it's at 25%. Um, of ETH, or a little higher, maybe 30%. But what's interesting is the uh, number of transactions, which, I mean, th this nothing's changed on this uh, front. It's almost three times as many transactions. But even with that, if you compare just NASDAQ alone, the number of shares traded each day versus the number of transactions on Solana and Ethereum as it applies to NFTs, uh, you're, you're operating, the NFT market is at 0.00161% of that entire market. Now, is it fair to compare these two things? Uh, yes, um, because I just did it. But what I was going to say um, is it's pretty crazy the like limited uh, level of activity that exists uh, in this market. That said, I'd be curious how many people buy like Pokemon cards each day versus how many people buy... Uh, baseball cards or other collectibles um, is something that I'd be interested in seeing. I mean, we end up looking at the the dollar volume, um, which is most important. But with all that said, it is pretty crazy just how how tiny, tiny this market is. Well, it's something, Nick, that it, uh, is interesting. So I don't have a pulse on the Pokemon market, but I do have a pulse on the Magic market. I talked to a dealer friend of mine who does a lot of high-end Magic dealing, and he said Magic Gathering trading cards the volume of people selling to dealers and dealers in, in that market buy like 30 to 40%, sometimes 50% under market as like a buy list offer. Use like the percentage of people selling to like low buy list offers has gone way, way up and the amount of inventory they're moving has gone way, way down. And so there they have sort of like this intermittent liquidity, which is the dealers where people are just picking up large amounts of stock right now. But um, there's, it, it's interesting to see how the collectibles market has been playing out. The volumes are way down. Uh, there too. Do you know the numbers though? Uh, I don't, unfortunately. Let me let me see if I can get them from him. All right. That, that would be an interesting comparison. Uh, I do buy into the theory that the d digital collectibles, because of their you know convenience, uh, will have a bigger market cap than physical collectibles. It makes collectibles very international. Anyone in the world can buy them. The same thesis is like you know the iPhone is better than the phone that your grandma had. Uh, Manny's had his hand raised, and then we'll hear from uh, Gene P. Manny, what's going on? Uh, so a couple of things. One, you always play a red aggro deck. Two, I picked up Nifty Portal Soul, so that's yours. And then three. <laughs> Cupcake, Proto Cupcake Protocol made a debut at New York Fashion Week, where they were airdropping. They were airdropping. Andy Raw. It oh. was like Andy Warhol, like tickets. Like um, it's like Solana NFTs made a debut with Tommy Hilfiger at, at New York Fashion Week. Fast said he's the person you want to talk to about that. Interesting. Okay. Well, Solana making a presence in the fashion world. Uh, we got Gene Parmesan, a recent addition to our Discord. He's been posting really funny stuff in there. Uh, what's on your mind? The big hey. cheese, they call him. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I just like a, a couple quick things I want to say. So in the Discord, I've been saying, you know, 
oh, um, you know, 95% of NFTs is going to go to zero. I'm not bearish the space. When I say that, I, I think that, you know, everything except for nifty punks and apes, a lot of them are going to go to zero. But <laughs> that other 5%, a lot of that's going to go to one, two, three, four, five, six, ten 10 ETH. And some of that stuff's going to round trip, but you can make a lot of money on the round trip. First point. Second point, I think we should get more precise about how we talk about rugs. People say call a rug anything that goes to zero, but a lot of things, you know, there's a rug where people take the money and run and put it in, in tornado cash, and that's a, a true rug. And there's a lot of things that just slow bleed, and people, the, the teams are trying, and there's just nothing, you know, nothing they can do. And then the final point, I think I want to talk about staking. We got to stop calling everything staking. Staking is when you're securing a network. It's when there are fees being earned. If I'm staking ETH, I'm securing the ETH network. If I'm putting shitcoin up, you know, and I'm getting more of that shitcoin, I'm just diluting. I'm just inflating away my, my asset. You know, it's, it's a trick. It's, 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 it's not real. You're not really staking. If I go to the bank and I deposit money, I'm not staking my USD. They're just giving me more USD. And I'm just, you know, inflating away the value of my asset. And, you know, I think a lot of people are getting tricked into thinking, oh, I'm staking. And then you end up a year later with a lot, with a worthless coin. So those are my three quick points. Hey, Gene Parmesan coming on stage and dropping some points. Um, I think that all of those are, are conversations we can get into. What, what I want to ask you is, you know, we talked about it in the in the weather report, and I believe you were buying Akutars down at point three. I, I think a lot of people know I'm, I'm a, a large holder or a large-ish holder of the collection. Uh, how do you feel about this pump? I mean, I sold both of mine because I, I – um... I sold both of mine, but I'm I'm happy. I think I saw them in someone in like a random maybe Nick's. Well, I saw them in some random person's wallet and thought, oh, maybe I'll just buy a couple. Um, and you know, I'm happy. I think that you know, I, I like when people come in and sweep, but I also feel when something's when a pump is because one person came in and swept. A lot of times it's unsustainable because then there just aren't as many new buyers. But I mean, yeah, I was definitely happy to see a pump a little bit. And you know, I'm also in potatoes. I feel I feel good about potatoes. I like the way they shake their big potato butts. Um, so yeah, I'm you know I'm, I'm I like that and Max Payne, you got me into Max Payne and also Nina's super cool world. So you know I think there's some some cool things that are happening right now. I mean I have a lot of thoughts on all that stuff. We had the Nine Gag CEO, the founder of Potatoes, on the show. Uh, I thought he presented really well. <laughs> Excuse me. And there's a lot of meme potential with that one. Just one thing on the Akutars, you mentioned uh, the pump because someone swept. The pump actually is not because of a pranksy sweep, although he is a big holder and he did sweep. Uh, he actually doesn't really move the market as much anymore. I think the pump really is coming. And the last time we saw this was when the uh, Akutars or the Aku character was on the cover of Time Magazine, a lot of people were like, oh, wow. Um, if people have been in the Aku ecosystem for a long time, then they know that Micah and, and some are, you know, the founders of the collection are and the founders of the business are very, very strong when it comes to partnerships. So I, I wasn't terribly surprised to see them get on the cover of Time Magazine. And now, you know, with them uh, having essentially some form of partnership with Disney, right, probably the biggest name for intellectual property like this, I think that that real, you know, kind of woke people up a little bit and reminded them of the angle of this collection, right? So that I, I would credit it to the Disney uh, connection versus like the Pranksy Suite. Makes sense. Maybe I'll buy a couple more. Yeah, I'm not trying to convince you, Joe. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, look, on the subject of Nina's super cool world, this is one that I'm really interested in buying. Uh, it's by Nina Chanel, who is a a big deal in the the kind of modern art world right now, and it's through the Gota 
pass collection. And I'm going to get note on stage in just a second to have him, uh, you know, kind of weigh in on this as well. This, this collection, this artist, this angle on NFTs, in my opinion, is completely dependent on the traditional art world getting into NFTs. Um, They've done pretty well. They're at a 0.49 Ethereum floor. The all-time high, I believe, was one ETH plus. I just let note on stage. I don't know if he wants to warm up for a second before he starts talking, but he and I on his podcast, Node Mode, were discussing uh, with with Chris Bennett, who I believe is in the crowd, founder of Space Plus. Yes, he is. Uh, you know, the Gota Pass and how it's one of the most interesting uh, art-based NFT access passes gets you access to these artists from outside the NFT world that come in and do some pretty cool stuff. And the market is at least valuing it at a decent level. I mean, the floor on the Nina project is 0.49 ETH. There's 5,100 in the collection. Um, note, I don't know if you have anything to wait. Yeah, okay, you raised his hand. What's going on? Yeah, I, I mean, it, I think it's fascinating. That project in particular like go to if you look at all the people involved that are that founded it right there's just a lot of heavy hitters there and and there's a lot of speculation that i, I forget there's one there's one cause involved on the team cause yeah cause who's a big deal like they're anticipating that he'll do a drop you know uh through Gota, which would make perfect sense and so there's probably a premium you know built in there uh which could which could pan out pretty you know, pretty bigly, but, uh, you know, there's, there's another, there, there, there were a bunch of other projects as well. I think Todd James art party, which, uh, you know, his, his art looked pretty cool. And I think Pranksy may have swept those, but yeah, I, I, I mean, we were talking about on the show, we really wanted, we both wanted to buy it and we should have, cause then it pumped right afterwards, but it is, it is a little bit more dependent. Like you said, uh, it, I feel like it's a little less, uh, you know, like the, the traditional NFT market doesn't quite, you know, understand or know what's going on over there, um, which I think is a good and a bad thing. So I, yeah, I'd be curious to see where it goes, but you know, if, if the go to pass drops a little bit, I'll definitely, definitely scoop one. Yeah. And, and I want to, I'm going to throw to signal in a second. Another NFT collection I want to talk about is catharsis by Dario Lanza that just came out. Uh, so note, I don't know if you have anything on that, but I'm going to throw to signal in the meantime, signal, any thoughts on the go to situation? Yeah, actually, I was just about to talk about catharsis because I think Goda right now is trading sort of around six ETH, while GM DAO, uh, which is you can think of it like an art an art blocks platform, uh, but the USP is that they do um, a blind acceptance, so artists put their work forward, and then the board doesn't know who the artist is, so you're just judging the art for what it is, and um, they're their mem sorry, their original Genesis pass is sort of in a three ETH range. And you the interesting thing about Catharsis, it was like a very small edition. It was about a thousand pieces and only a 0.15 mint. And it went up to almost one ETH, but now it's obviously pulled back. But I think Goda and GM Dow, especially because GM Dow is going for that art blocks play, but with blind curation, are two things that you probably have in your radar um, when you're looking at the art side. Yeah, and that's like Signal said, catharsis is from GM. Uh, Node, we talked about this on the show. I don't know how much we want to rehash it here. You have your hand raised. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit afraid to <laughs> afraid <laughs> to talk about it because we took some heat and the founder like literally started uh, commenting. We didn't know that it was the founder. Yeah, I'm just like responding to this guy thinking it's, it's like, like responding old... to our tweets. It's like, <laughs> dude, we're we're not pretending like we're anyone special. I just we had opinions on the art, you know, uh, on GM Dow. 
and uh, they didn't they didn't like our opinion so much, which is totally fair. Um, but I, I I totally want GM Dow to succeed. I think you know the more people in the space trying to push forward art, it's great. Pio and I had kind of a similar thought, which was a lot of the a lot of the art on there uh, looks a lot like art that we've seen other places, which you know to some degree that's normal. Um, but a lot of them, like literally, it's like okay, this one looks like a Fidenza, this one looks like a Ringer, this one reminds me of Archetype. And Catharsis reminds me of Jackson Pollock, right? And it's like, it, I think Catharsis, they've done a lot of cool things. Like, you know, apparently it's some of the pieces uh, literally sort of mesh together. So you could put two side by side and the paint spills over from one image to the other, um, which is which is cool. And there's a lot of other interesting mechanics, I think, that, that they did. And I think it looks good. Um, it's just like, at the same time, it literally looks exactly like a Pollock, right? So I don't. Uh, it's just uh, to me that can be a good thing right like because people recognize the art but also like it's it feels a little bit less original um and that's that's obviously one of the concepts Pio and i have been chatting a lot about is like you know how original do you have to be or not but i totally want them to succeed you know we'll, we'll probably you know try and have you know some people on the show from from gm dow so we can learn more uh but it is you know those are just our thoughts no hate all love from our end you know yeah. And so just for me to add to that, uh, I have no doubt that it is incredibly challenging to develop the code that goes into making this generative art to create uh, images that look like Jackson Pollock paintings through code and have it actually work, right? Because all these, like, they look good. It actually works. The art is good. Like, that is incredible. So, like, you know, I, ne I would never want to throw any shade on that. My thing is when you create work that like basically looks just like some art that you've seen in the in the traditional art world, in this case, Jackson Pollock. I don't know how much people outside of the NFT space are going to put value on the fact that it's generative. Like, I almost feel like the pitch on this is, well, it's generative. And it's like, okay, but I don't, like, we need to understand that like I'll, I'll use one example, right? Goblin Town, the uh, collection that just came out. The um, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. What are they? Grumples or Grumples or something like that? Yeah, um, Grumples. Incredibly cool collection. Dope artists that are part of our community, like Brian Brinkman and Sarah Script, contributed. I mean, I I really like both of their uh, their contributions because it's like their touch being injected into this NFT collection, right? It's just totally a slam dunk in my book on all fronts. But I think that it's a slam dunk from an art perspective for the NFT space. And if we kept keep going layers and layers deeper into making work that's like inherently for ourselves, then our space actually just kind of slowly gets whittled down and it doesn't actually get bigger. And what we actually want is to, to expand and we actually want more people to get interested. And that's why something like like um, Goda is interesting to me, um, and I don't own one. I, I keep saying I'm going to buy one. I, I, pff, I, I probably should. I don't know. But anyway, um, I like the idea of artists that are already doing big time work in the traditional world coming into the NFT space and having you know a vehicle to do it in an effective way. The thing that I wonder about is if the supply is too much because every additional artist drop, it, it's just uh, it's another market cap that's coming into the space, and it's another need for a substantial amount of liquidity like we can't forget about just how much liquidity is required to maintain 
a .49 ETH floor on Nina's collection with 5,100 supply, right? Big difference between 5,100 supply and 500 supply. So those are my thoughts on that. Like I was talking to someone that's a heavyweight from the traditional collectibles world. I don't know if he'd want me to mention his name. Really, really smart guy. He's in the NFT space. And he was talking about how NFTs are looking like Marvel Comics were in like the late uh, 1980s, or I don't remember the exact time frame, but basically where they were just kind of going deeper and deeper and deeper into their own kind of esoteric approaches to story where the only people buying were the existing fans. So the, the actual space was getting smaller not bigger. And and the space doesn't survive if it doesn't get bigger. So that's the one thing about NFTs that we have to kind of pay attention to and make sure that we're not just making stuff for ourselves. We're making stuff that has mainstream appeal. And when I think about Akutars, right, that was a big part of why uh, it I bought that NFT, the very first one, the first week that I ever bought an NFT, and it made a lot of sense to me. I was like, this is IP that a little kid would you know, buy a Halloween costume for, buy a toy for, things like that. So that's what made sense to me is that crossover appeal. Um, I want to throw to NFT God. NFT got at a little California vacation driving up the Pacific Coast Highway. Uh, I know that ride. That's a dope-ass place to go. NFT God, good to have you back, buddy. Yeah, good to be back, man. I uh, I tried to promise myself I'd wake up at 6 a.m. one of the days last week to be on the show, but that just did not work out any of the days. So uh, glad to be back on the East Coast on here. I have a question for you based on the point you just brought up, P.O. You know, I see a lot of projects like Azuki, for instance, they're talking about starting an anime. You have Akutar, you know, advertising a, a D23. The question is, do we have a path right now from mainstream ip to purchasing an nft so like do we is it do we have a path of nft value actually increasing because an ip goes mainstream i'm bearish on projects that spend money on video games and tv shows and movies to go mainstream i i don't see the path at the moment for someone watching one of those shows or seeing the logo i'm like okay now i'm gonna buy a five thousand dollar nft it it doesn't make quite much sense to me at the moment. Those are incredibly competitive fields to be entering the TV shows and the movies. And, you know, if, if mainstream IP was enough to increase the value of a project, wouldn't the Nickelodeon NFTs go, you know, be at like 10 ETH at the moment? That's one of the most mainstream IPs there are. So I'm not quite sure I see the path of value increasing from people finding out what an IP is to uh, a bunch of people buying the NFT all of a sudden. Yeah, I just saw Gene uh, raise his hand. He comes from the TV world, so I'm excited to throw throw to him and hear what he has to say. You know, if I could give two cents on that, if you know, if you're curious, is my thought is actually that that path is it's a long path, like long with air quotes, right? Because in the NFT space, it's like when, when, when. But I think that basically what these businesses have to do is they have to make sure that they run their Web3 business in a way that allows them to have enough runway where they can continue to run the business for three to five years. Because uh, as we look at you know, technology and innovation in the world. We only go forward, we don't go back. And I know that when we're in our little echo chamber here doing this show five days a week, doing YouTube five days a week, talking about NFTs for 90 minutes uh, day in and day out, it gets you, it's easy to get impatient and it's easy to. Uh, feel like we're drinking our own Kool-Aid and saying NFTs are the future. It's like it becomes a popular opinion to be bearish on it. But the bottom line is like adoption as a curve, like we're, we're only moving toward digital asset adoption 
in general. And at the very core, you can look at assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And you can think that as soon as the world is not in maybe as weird of a position as it is now, and as soon as maybe political um, you know, interests uh, contribute to a potential market bull run, like at the end of the day, right, there's always cycles. We just came out of a crazy bull run. There will eventually be a bull market again, right? It's an unpopular opinion to, to try to guarantee a sort of bull market. But when you think about over a long period of time, you'll see a bull market again. And you'll, you're only going to see more adoption of digital assets. We're not going to suddenly go back to the Stone Age. So on your point on Nickelodeon, the reason that Nickelodeon is not something that works is because you take a brand from the 90s that does have original IP, right? And you have to really put a lot of value on original IP. You kind of think about Marvel Comics and how that IP, DC Comics, the comic book IP is from like the 1950s or 60s, maybe even earlier. I'm not a comic book buff. And that's literally what every Hollywood movie is doing. And they print literally a billion dollars in box office sales. And that's not even counting what happens on the back end afterwards off the IP that's from so long ago. If they could just create new IP and crank it out and make a billion bucks off of it, they totally would. You th see things like Pokemon, that's huge, huge big-time IP, Nintendo, right? All these different things. Nickelodeon is definitely big-time IP too. But when a brand like Nickelodeon comes into the NFT space and they don't have the Web3 pedigree, and we've seen so many entities just milk the NFT space for liquidity, I mean, look, there's been people that have worked in our business that I think we're framing the Web3 space as just an opportunity to extract uh, value, to extract literally money. Like you, you can kind of tell right away who looks at Web3 as a cash cow. And the narrative for over 12 months was you can make a lot of money in crypto. You can make a lot of money in Web3. You make a lot of money with NFTs. So if Nickelodeon had come out in like, you know, July 2021, I think you would have seen a crazy pump. But at this point, you know, when a brand like that comes in, if they're not, uh, if they don't have a Web3 pedigree, if there isn't real deep trust that they're going to operate properly in Web3, there isn't going to be value, uh, you know, that gets, um, uh, uh, that accrues to those NFTs. Um, so I want to stop there. I've been talking a lot on today's show. I want to throw to other people. Gene's got his hand raised. What, any thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I actually agree with the guy who spoke before you. I think that, like, I'm very bearish projects that talk about oh we're gonna do tv like people don't realize how hard tv is i mean tv episodes cost a ton of money to make um and the the, the path is very long a lot of shows don't get picked up so people don't really, like what you have you have a pilot and then like a, a, someone like abc they'll order a bunch of pilots and then of those pilots they'll shoot a few and then of those few they shoot a few of those will go to series and so it's a very you know funnel type of uh situation and even right now, you have a glut of content. You see Netflix is, like, cutting a bunch of positions, and HBO Max is cutting. Like, TV is just not what people think it is. It's a very slow, painful process, very long process. You know, I, I, that's that's kind of my, my world. Um, and I also think, like, you say that, oh, it, it takes a while and people have to be patient. But I think one thing that I think a lot of collections do is that they realize people wanted, you know, utility or wanted, like, you know, wanted more than just a JPEG. And so they'll say, oh, we're, we're working on a video game. Or working on TV, <laughs> and they like those things because those things take forever, right? So they can kind of forever just keep the can say, "Oh yeah, we're, we're working. Yeah, we got, you know, they they start announcing announcements. So we're announcing that we're we're announcing an announcement, and you know, we got an announcement. We're going to announce, uh, you know, in five months. You, you just be, just be patient." So I think people actually choose TV partially same reason they choose video games because it's like it takes a long time, so they can kind of string their their holders along. And I you, I I agree that the Nickelodeon if they had dropped in July twenty twenty one, it probably would have like a you know a massive floor price. But you know, look. 
Nifty Portal's 0.22. Nickelodeon's at 0.02. They have pretty comparable number of items. So yeah, I'm not really big on the TV thing. Like I bought a Solana project that, that I don't want to FUD, but it was like a, one, a 120 sold floor price months ago. And like today it's at like 36. And it's like, I mean, I sold it before then. But um, yeah, like they have like a whole TV thing. And they're trying to say now we're going to license, we're going to create a DAO and then we're going to license, you know, we're going to, some of the money that we get from licensing, we're going to put into the DAO because, you know, they haven't made a prop of their floor price. And I just think the whole TV thing is just kind of like, that's just not really, I don't think the future of NFTs. Fair yeah. counterpoint, Nick. I mean, what he, just to recap what he just said, he said, who's Nickelodeon? <laughs> Nifty Portal's what all the kids are watching. <laughs> Okay, and we're comparable, you know, comparable in size, reach, revenue. It's the same, same, you know. Brand identity, you know, like when people, you walk up to somebody on the street in New York City here and you say, do you know what Nickelodeon is? They're going to say, what's that? I don't know. Do you know what our specific NFT project called the Nifty Portal is? They're going to be like, fuck yeah, I know what that is. Uh, and I'd fight you over it. Yeah, so, yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that and thank you for that uh <laughs> Thank you for that comment. And we will throw to Achilles in a second. I know something about Achilles tendons for sure. But NFT got any any additional thoughts that you wanted to share? I, I always like to hear from you. Yeah, I, I just it seems like the bet on Akutar is that the IP is going to get big. You know, Disney puts out a lot of IPs that fail, right? Just because Disney supports something doesn't mean it's going to be a big thing. And so I. I you know, if I'm going to make a bet, I'm going to make a bet on a project like I see with a path to profitability. And I, I don't know if I want to bet $600 on Akutar being a big IP in, in several years. It seems like the the asymmetrical bet there is not in my my favor. So, you know, I IPs, it's just tough. It's, it's tough to bet on a TV show being successful, a movie or a video game. You know, I, I look at the nifty portal for instance and i can you guys have such incredible reach like i'd rather place the bet on a point two eth nft where uh you're the biggest brand in web3 and you can find ways to bring people into the ecosystem i just don't know if i want to bet six hundred dollars on people seeing an akutar and then coming into the, the nft ecosystem just well, really final thoughts. i was gonna say people haven't explained how the value is going to accrue to the holder like let's say you know let's say south park had an nft like how's the value going to accrue to the holder Unless the money from, you know, unless you're creating a DAO, you're going to share the profits with the holders. Like, there's no, no one's actually said, how, like, oh, well, more people are going to know about the project and that's going to drive demand. That's kind of, I don't know, how's the value really going to accrue to the holder? It, it, it's, it's impossible to say. And which brings me back to a point I made a couple months ago on the show, which is right now the only real utility I see in the NFT space is either art or social clubs. Uh, I have yet to see one IP bring money back to the holders, uh, unless it's kind of like a pyramid scheme. But other than that, the only art utility I'm seeing is art and social clubs, and that's really the only ones I want to make a bet on at the moment. All right. Well, first of all, a lot of support for our brand today. That's pretty cool. Uh, Node just raised in. I want to hear from Node and Ben, and then we're going to throw to Achilles, who is patiently waiting, representing Azuki of all projects. Node, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, NFT God, I mean, bless you for remembering what you did two months ago. I, you know, most of us can't remember what we said yesterday on the show, so congratulations there. But I totally agree. I think everybody's underestimating just the main the main uh, value driver for anything that's not art. And even I, I guess even art, it's like this identity, right? It's the identity. So it's the social club, like you said, NFT God is the main driver for most of the value. And so that was why, like for me, like Akutar, I was like, OK, 
this hope maybe this is cool for other people but i you know i i don't i don't want to put this as my pfp right and it was as simple as that and i think same thing with the nickelodeon stuff okay it's a big brand but you know i i'm not going to rep one of these as you know as my pfp or be super stoked to hold it necessarily um so i, I totally agree with you there um and i did have one question and, and maybe we can come back to it later but i want some advice on on shooting out um offers on collections because i've been trying for weeks and i've been failing so uh maybe we can come back to that question and uh, you know after everyone's done with their thoughts on this yeah i'll try to get jesse back on stage because he's the absolute king of that and he probably has all the tips and tricks i had i just did that with a with an nft and i had to do it on um on looks rare because the contract so some nfts like let's say you want to throw an offer out on moonbirds oddities that contract is set up so you can just do it right on OpenSea. it's really easy to do a collection offer which if you came from like nifty gateway for example is the equivalent of a global offer meaning everybody that has that NFT gets that offer and they can just boom, click and accept it, uh, which is great. But sometimes on OpenSea, there's like a technical gap and you have to use LooksRare. Uh, ben, you have your hand raised. What's going on? Ben? Yeah, is my mic working? Okay. Yes, sir. Sorry, it's like sometimes the mute button gets sticky. Um, yeah, I wanted to comment on what Node was saying specifically about like the PFP aspect of um, <laughs> they're, they're like Rugrats or, or something in general where like I can't really imagine people using like babies and, and little children as their profile picture kind of stuff. I think it just kind of makes it weird. But with, with Nickelodeon specifically launching through Recur, it's like they, they don't provide the IP rights in a way that other projects, you know, that are native to Web3 do. So when you're buying, you know, a Tommy Pickles, you don't own it and you can't really do too much with it outside of just holding it. And then again, who really wants to use that as their profile picture? So the, the lack of the intellectual property rights, I think, is something that is always going to hold them back because they they can't really give the same value propositions that other types of projects would if they blow up. Um, so I think, you know, a, a lot of NFTs and Web3 in general is about speculation. And, you know, if I buy into this and they become big, I can reap rewards from it where Nickelodeon is already big. So people try to think, well, you know, what value can they bring back to me? And that company typically isn't looking to do that. So th there's definitely a, a separation between Web3 native companies and Web2 native and how they approach things. But for already successful intellectual property brands, it's going to be very difficult for them to give any of those type of rights out in the way that like a board apes did. So I think that's where a lot of the value differentiates. But ben, quick question on that point. Like, do you see for NFTs to expand? Do you think IP rights is going to have anything to do with that? Like I think about when I think about NFTs and when I potentially buy a project, I think about pitching it to my dad. Right. Am I going to go to my dad and say, hey, I think you should buy this NFT because you get the IP rights to the cartoon zoo animal you see on that. Like my dad's not going to give a shit. Right. But if I go to him and say, hey, if you buy this clone X, you can buy all the exclusive Nike dunks you want. And if you want, you can resell them on StockX. I think he's going to be a lot more likely to buy that. Do you think IP rights is something that a majority of the mainstream would care about in the future? 
I don't think it's the majority that care about it, but the people who actually want to do something with it can. So if he wanted to start his own business, use it as a logo and automatically connect to thousands of people within that industry or, or within that collection or even the people who believe in the technology, I think that makes sense. But then again, when you're looking at like like the, the Nike factor and yeah, being able to buy this at a discount and loyalty of rewards, like that's the kind of stuff that I was most excited about for large companies to, to introduce, like like Starbucks. You know, they just came out with the announcement now about loyalty rewards. So it doesn't mean that whatever, like, you know, if they send you a uh, an NFT, it doesn't have to be a cartoon animal, but it could just be a Starbucks gift loyalty card that you own. You own the tokenization from and so you benefit from the loyalty rewards. So I think that's more conducive to like a, a mass adoption approach. But I think when you look at the reason why people enjoy the intellectual property is not necessarily because everyone plans to do something with it because it's kind of on the contrary where most people won't. But the ability to use it um, in, in a way that's exclusive to yourself and you do have rights over it if someone else tried to use it, I think does make sense in terms of being a part of a club and having your own identity. But yeah, I would agree. Mass adoption wise, that's not the main factor. It's just one of the reasons that got me so excited about it. Interesting convo on IP and value accrual. Nick, you have your hand raised. Anything to add? No, uh, because I don't care about IP. I was going to talk about the merge um, and that, um, you know, uh, really appreciate that commentary, Ben. Thanks for that. Um, as for uh, Ethereum, it's in the process of merging later this week. And so it's just going through, you know, an evolution. And I just thought it was relevant, you know, with a little bit of time left to actually discuss it. Uh, look, I bought a, an NFT with uh, IP rights. I have multiple NFTs with IP rights. And you know how much I've done with it? Basically nothing. Um, I've thrown it in some pictures, but that picture wouldn't have changed value with or without that. I could have drawn something else. No one would have given it a damn. Um, but uh so that's my summary on that. I am curious about the merge, though. I don't want to actually completely change if there was if someone if uh, well, Achilles has throw, his hand raised about that. Yeah, I got to throw to Achilles. I I just checked though, and Achilles looks like it's an NFT collection. So you know you can't talk about that. But yeah. if you want to contribute no, 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 to the no. conversation, it's, it's my yeah, name. It's my name. <laughs> it's my name. What's your actually, name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I was I was born in Cyprus. So my middle name is Achilles. So I use that as a Web three. Uh, handle that's my kind of identity but i wanted to jump here actually as uh, to give a point on i know it's a bit maybe a bit boring but it's it's a bit technical the legal part so i'm a lawyer in new york uh and uh i wanted to discuss like the the evolution of nfts just to to highlight two points because i think they're very important for people who are really rushing to understand like why is the market kind of going down or not moving so much the first point, someone touched on it. I think it was UPO. Uh, the the fact that we're still super early, the, the market is still very very small. But from a legal uh, point, which is my, the added value that I would like to bring, uh, we have two points to think about. The first point is is ownership. Is actually understanding what is ownership and having people having legislators and governments uh, really talk about and really openly discuss what kind of ownership do we have with these nfts and that transcends into intellectual property and everything and revenue even revenue sharing for the holders of a certain project going towards a dao uh, and there's a very important evolution that happened on august 19th it went 
a bit unnoticed, but the 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 UK Law Commission that consults on on digital assets and and digital laws actually proposed to create a new category of securities that would include NFTs. So NFTs would become kind of a a new in a way a new breed of security that gives you ownership and that gives you kind of a kind of revenue sharing from a project. So that's a huge evolution. That if this were was to happen, then the ownership of this NFT would give you a lot, a lot of like empowerment as as a holder, and that would create a certain value for this NFT even more. That's the first point. And the second point is enforceability. So we talk a lot a lot about intellectual property and a lot like owning intellectual property and using it. And and as Nick uh, Nick said, like literally, like you have this intellectual property, but you 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 can't do shit with it, right? You can't you can't like you're, you're just looking at at something that the whole that the project threw out saying hey you have commercialized ip wow that's amazing what can i do with it how can i enforce it if someone was to kind of imitate it or replicate it and we talked about the point of like art being some kind of rep, like some kind of replica at some point or kind of very inspired by other other art so what can i do where is the limit and this is also something that requires a certain evolution from a judicial point that Potentially, if if reached, if we are able to reach a certain level of efficient enforceability on maybe taking out certain things or uh, stopping certain things or even not stopping certain things, then we could potentially talk about even more ownership and more power into this intellectual property that people are talking about. Because there is a lot of intellectual property. The point is enforceability and ownership. And these are the two points I really wanted to highlight and that's why I pushed to jump on the space to really explain that point that I believe a lot of people are not giving as much importance to. That's yeah, I mean, you know, gray areas on the legal side is an understatement. Um, I do think that a lot of people are, though, leveraging their intellectual property. I know that that Nick is saying that he isn't, but I actually would argue that Nick is because of our media business. Maybe it's not as on the nose leveraging it as like board uh, breakfast club or whatever the the coffee company and uh, spotty Wi-Fi, you know, having his entire music uh, identity being branded around his crypto punk. Um, but I do think that, you know, there are entities that are properly leveraging the intellectual property that um, that NFT offer obviously but, that yeah, go ahead Nick. what what value does actually putting an ape on like a burger company actually do the only people that care is this niche market basically but i'm wondering like if i go to a, a random drive-through if a random person goes through a drive-through they may see it but i think right now at this point in time the person who's making that investment is actually doing more for the board ape brand then Board API Club is actually doing for them. And yeah, so, I mean, like, it, it just seems ludicrous to me that this is actually anything outside of the fact that, like, people who are, quote, in the know of the NFT side can say, cool, that's run by a punk. Maybe there's some, like, implied trust there uh, based yeah. on that. But I don't even know that that's actually the case anymore at this point in time. Like, I, I don't know that if, if a punk launches a project that I'm saying, oh my God, holy shit, like this is Take so my great. money. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah. it, it, and I sorry, lose Nick, money more, Nick, more often Nick, than I think. Else. Nick, sorry on this point, but like punk just went from uh, around 55, 56 in ETH value to over 70 ETH in value because they did the collab with Tiffany's. It, and, 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 and now it's pulling back. 
obviously there'll be some collections who will be able to like okay so you have a collection of 10,000 people so it's, it's, it's the same concept as having a school of say uh, 30 kids right you're all in art class 29 of you are crap one of you is Jeff Coons okay that that school then lives off that we have the best art uh, school in the area because Jeff Coons came from this school. It's exactly the same argument that you can say that if Spotty Wi-Fi goes on to break, you know, break all the markets around the world, the creativity that he brings to his ape does have a butterfly effect. Uh, sorry, his punk does have a butterfly effect across the rest of the collection because we've seen it um, now yeah. now happen with Tiffany's. And the point that Achilles was bringing up, and the point that um, NFT God is bringing up, is right right now we have this lag. We're waiting for regulation to catch up to digital assets. And yes, the UK is slightly ahead at the moment, but we need to see what the US is going to do. At the end of the day, if they turn around and say with IP rights that, yes, you can, um, that, that like say, for example, yes, you can uh, um, take value and have a, an actual dividend paid to your holders of this security. Let's just say in, in that example. Well, that means if I take my, you know, my Moonbird, I write an amazing story. That story goes on to be a bestseller. I can now reward my own collector base based off Moonbirds, based off my work and based off the IP that was previously um, created. The, the, like, the stage that we're at is that there's a lag. But, there's a lag between what we're doing, there's a lag between what the law is doing, and, and sorry, what, what ownership and regulation are doing, and there's a lag between what the financial assets and what we can do with securities. But, but you went and wrote a novel. Like, basically, in that scenario, you went and wrote a, an entire novel, so you put in all of this work and my argument is the same thing that would go with the with the games. Like no one, everyone's talking about like uh, the NFT games. Well, all of them have sucked so far for the most part. Outside of shout out Crypto Raiders because uh, there's a bias there. But uh, basically, all the games have not been like these insane games and yet. They and so they focus on the model of this. This is a similar situation. The model being, hey, we're going to give you these. Uh, images and let you go develop the IP, which is very similar tangentially to like loot or something like that, where they were like, here's the card, go make, go invent a game. And to me, that's just like th this whole decentralized side of things doesn't add value um, to, doesn't start with a collection that has value. It starts with a collective of people who have the ability to go and execute on something and then deliver value back to the collection. And so from that standpoint right now, yes, you're talking about like uh, Christie's or sorry, uh, Tiffany's doing the CryptoPunks thing and that had a temporary pump. Well, that's just like this niche market of people who value the punks and, and leverage uh, news as a basis for their you know, financial decisions. But fundamentally, the IP when it starts is worthless. It's basically zero. And the, and the only reason that it goes up in any value, and we don't have the answer for it yet because we haven't seen the tide fully flush out to see what what happens and how much the base, the lowest price that this will go after the pump. I, I mean, it's just not clear to me what the and how much of that value. When I look at CryptoPunks, the value has nothing to do with the IP because that got added years later in the in the um, process. So like. It wasn't until Yuga even bought it that the IP was even a relevant story. Spotty's the only person that has actually fully developed IP around their punk. And then again, it's the exact same scenario. It's not clear what what how the punk helped Spotty. And instead, outside of giving him a brand, 
that so and you can go build a logo so anyways that that's like for five hundred dollars you don't need to spend fifty thousand dollars in order to do that anyways yeah. that that's my point yeah can, i just let i can, just let board on stage i'd be curious for him to weigh in on this yeah. Yo, can i just say one 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 sure. word Sorry, because I'm so I'm so I'm so like burning to say that. I mean, uh, uh, to the to to the point of like like the, to the point that Nick said, I would argue, uh, enforceability is is one of the answers. Because as 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 you said, no, you have to enforce the IP yourself. That's the problem with this whole thing. People have yeah, to now exactly, have an obligation exactly. to protect this. So now now you gave me this asset that's worth even more. It, it's it, honestly, I the IP thing to me. I, you, you're, you're, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. The IP play is complete bullshit. I'm saying it here. I, I, agree. I, I, I at this point, yeah. it is. At this point, it, it is. It's not a complete bullshit, but it's, 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 it's not yet a big play. At least, let's put it this way, because, because like most big web two kind of brands could enforce it because they have the liquidity, they have the, the, the power, they have the, the accessibility. Look at McDonald's. You can't just go on like on a on a on a next to your house and open a mcdonald's and just put the brand you're gonna get taken down once web3 brands can do that reach a point where they can do that then potentially the the ip play could become a bigger play board anything to add yeah i mean just to add to what nick was saying the the future i'd like to see is kind of going back to what you have on kickstarter um but in a different way right so when you think about like a board game for example um, a team's got to put together a pretty rigorous plan for what they're going to do, what the product is that they're going to release, and then what you're going to get. And what you're going to get at this point is, okay, you're going to get this game and a bunch of stickers and a t-shirt and whatever, and that's that's all good. But the future and, and what, you know, I'd like to see happen is you have an NFT where actually, you know, the, you are a part of the product. You do have a skin in the game. You have you have stake. Now, that's that's a bit of a securities issue potentially in certain countries, but I mean, that's that's kind of the clear path I want to see versus kind of to the point someone made earlier, which is like, oh, we're going to get this collection of people and money and then we're going to figure out how to make a product. Like, it's kind of insane to me how much rigor somebody uh, putting up a Kickstarter campaign has to go through to raise a couple million bucks. And um, it's almost it, it's almost like a joke how little detail someone's roadmap needs to need to be, um, you know, to to raise money via the NFT. So that's that's kind of my perfect vision. But curious to hear what you guys would think. Well, Signal has her hand raised. Something else to add? Yeah, I was just going to add on this point with the IP. Now, I really don't like keep saying that we're so early, but I really look at this as open source code versus closed uh, code. If 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 you have a company of say five people, Nick, obviously you're going to know this, uh, you know, much better than me. Is that if you have you know a company of five people that all coding, you're all looking at each other's work, and you're saying we're going to iterate on this and we're going to uh, build on top of it. You've only got five people to build on that code. Once you open source it, you've got everybody in the world who wants to code and has an interest to build and layer on top of that. That's how I see IP playing out for this. I think with, I mean, I said it before that things need to catch up. Regulation needs to catch up. Countries need to catch up. Things do need to change. But the value of the IP will come from the fact that because it's decentralized and because it will be open source, other people will be, be, uh, be able to add to it. It will be a case of, do you want the leaders of a business uh, to be completely focusing on having to do, you know, creativity across a 10K per collection, 
would you rather have that in the hands of the collectors for them to go do their ideas and for there to be a butterfly effect across the entire collection and the actual founders and and uh and the actual founding team can go and do other things where the strategy actually brings value to the business i think there's two different things happening here that we're talking about and i think the ip and the value of the ip is is better in the hands of 10,000 people than it is in the hands so of just say a, a small team of three so there's two things uh, about that. The first is is with um, open source, the distinction is, and look, there could be in the future value of the IP. I think my Board Ape could be incredibly valuable from an IP standpoint if Board Ape Yacht Club goes and executes properly over the coming years. But they're just not at that point yet where it's actually worth a fortune for me personally. In the short term, the, or the same thing happens with even open source code. MySQL, Postgres, or take a web, a web development framework like Ruby on Rails. It starts with someone who's passionate and talented and can build a framework to a degree where people are actually excited to go and build that thing and continue to extend it. But at the point when it gets introduced or, quote, open sourced, it's already delivering an immense amount of value and then a community forms around it. They don't start with an empty GitHub re repository and say, here is a GitHub repo. It is yours to go build your dreams and aspirations. You all go figure that shit out, basically. Like, they don't do that. They give a starting point for them to actually do that. Today, we yet don't have that we're not at the point, an equivalent stage where an open source project would actually be open sourced. And instead, they started at the beginning where they said, look, here are some images that... Uh, that we think will be worth something in the future. So at this point, you're making a speculative investment that they'll actually go and execute it on it. And so far, Yuga's doing a great job. And I sincerely hope that they continue to develop that. I hope that the CryptoPunks IP continues to develop to an extreme level. But And I'm holding on to both of these different assets. But today, the only you know relevance that it has is it gives me some level of street cred within the NFT ecosystem. And that's about it. And there's a couple other people that'll see my punk and they'll say, wow, you own a crypto punk? And I can say, yeah, but they don't say, well, what did you do with it? And did you go open a burger shop? Like they just don't uh, think about that aspect of things. So anyways, uh, I, we're, we're over on this uh, subject matter. I, I'm not personally saying that there's a zero, zero value of IP. It's just that the value today for most of these collections where it's on the collective to go and develop the IP, it's still just not worth that much. And that subset of uh, your asset that you're owning. I, I do think that long-term it will be worth something. And Akutars, which someone posted in the Discord, where that is an IP play that makes sense, it's because they're driving that intellectual property forward. They're not saying hey, you all go out and develop the, the Akutar, uh, Akutar brand. They're doing it themselves. So I'm making a bet on that team if I'm going and buying it. And I like that bet personally. But anyways, that, that's, that's it. All righty. We're, we're over, but we got people with their hand raised. Might as well finish the conversation. Spencer. Yeah, well, I, I, I think like the idea of IP is interesting internal to the space too, because I've seen a couple of projects attempt to be like meta derivatives, where it's like a derivative of like a whole bunch of a collection. And, and I think, you know, the most interesting one was was Jenkins the Valet, like that was doing that. And, and in that initial like release, they licensed like a lot of apes. I think it was like in maybe over 100 or in the hundreds. Um, and that was a way for them to bring community together. And, and I do think that like 
the board ape ip is permeating like the tiktok generation um and I, i've heard a lot of stories of like like mutant ape and board ape like merch is like a cool clothing item to own in like middle school and high school right now um for like the cool kids or whatever and i think that that's interesting to see play out do i think that that means that individual ips of your ape is all that valuable today probably not but i think that we'll see more and more people like jenkins the ballet building like characters around their asset and developing that character into its own like thing and i think people like jenkins the ballet people like spotty wi-fi have really like built brands around specific assets and then watched the the like the like whole of those assets grow exponentially and then a lot of their growth has been because they built like a unique ip within sort of bigger ip so i just i think there is something with ip here i also think that maybe it doesn't matter all that much like when i think about backing ip i think about what the parent company is making and owning some sort of portion of that that's why like for me the moonbirds going cc0 didn't really matter too much to me because like i want to invest in Moonbird's IP and I don't need to be able to make uniquely licensable derivatives to do that, right? Like I think that proof is creating IP that will make my asset more valuable and my ownership of that is like, I'm okay with that being just like membership in the club as my exposure to the IP that they're creating. And I think about like in the venture capital world, like there hasn't been a good way to back stuff like for example, a clothing brand, right? But like if you look at what the most valuable companies are, like, and who the richest people in the world are, like Bernard Arnault is one of the richest people in the world. And he, you know, it's all from like fashion brands and venture capital has not traditionally had a good way to back like a fashion brand style play. But I think to me, NFTs are that way of like venture backing a fashion label or, or an IP. And, you know, with apes, it's not just like a clothing brand thing, right? Like I think the IP for apes is actually going to be closer to like competitive IP with Soho House. Like why are Soho House memberships thousands of dollars a year because it's soho house right like you don't need to explain more i think the same thing there with board ape ip now does it matter that my specific ape i have ownership of the ip like eh, to me not so much it just matters that like the parent collection has done something with that ip and as a matter of fact i'd rather that they keep exclusive rights to the board ape yacht club name than give it out to holders because i think they will be better um stewards of that specific name and i and i'm putting my trust in them rather than trying to put my trust in random distributed people where anyone could go, including a bad actor and do something with a name or with um, an asset. Well said, Spencer. Uh, we didn't get to talk about Moonbirds today, so we have something to, to talk about tomorrow. Gene Parmesan. Hey, Mr. tomorrow Cheese. it's the merge. It's the merge tomorrow. Uh, yeah, merge. I, I, I just got to say, I mean, Nick is, Nick is a thousand percent correct. I mean, I'm sorry, but another thing is that the people who talk about IP just use the worst examples, like a restaurant. So step one, have a a half a million to a million dollars extra lying around to start a restaurant. By the way, the guy who started that restaurant, he started 10 restaurants before that. So be a restaurateur, spend $100,000 on an ape. It's not like I'm going to go to the bank and say, hey, I want to start a restaurant. They say, hey, where's your ape? I mean, you're going to start a restaurant. You don't even have an ape. You know, where are you going to get a logo without, without an ape? And then, you know, the other example is like the VMA. It's like, okay, so for step one, be a multi-platinum 90s rapper, then get invited to perform the VMAs and then use your ape to perform. Like, like what are we really... Who's using their IP? Who's enforcing it? It, it? It's it's ridiculous. It seems like people are doing a bit. Like I feel like are you like am I just not in on the joke? Like like the IP thing just sounds completely ridiculous. I'm sorry. Like step one, write a write a novel. You know, write a hit novel, and then like I just I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
We'll see how it plays out. Uh, so look, Adam Franklin's been. Ha- I love this guy. I love this guy. Whoever just spoke. <laughs> that that's Mr. Cheese, Gene Parmesan. Dude, I'm a big cheese guy. Cheese it, brie, you name it, I eat it, baby. <laughs> the first cheese product you named was Cheez Its. That's they're that real cheese. cheese. Like, what do you want? No, they're made with real cheese. Have you ever read the package? Wow. Have you seen the commercials? <laughs> uh, Adam Franklin, yeah, you have your hand raised. Uh, we're going to close out with you, buddy. <laughs> Don't make me shoot myself in the foot throwing to you, Adam. What's going on? Uh, chill, chill, Peter. Uh, look, g'day, everyone. Uh, I just want to say that <clears throat> everyone's obviously right. Like, there's no wrong answer here. The IP is up in the air, but I, I, I side with Spencer. I like to put my money into like the teams building it out there. And I do think that the only use case for IP right now is a brand that wants to, uh, you can start a business with to, with a thousand to 10,000, like you, like really crazy followers. So if you can tap into that and siphon an audience into a new business, whether that's a restaurant or a burger joint or a comic with punks comic, they've done it with obviously punks. And then they did their punks comic two with like a eight contest and those eight, Eights got to make money from their IP and then obviously board um, uh, Jenkins. Like they're doing a good job by using a collections IP to go off and start something else. So to those people, all credit to them. Personally, I've just been, and this is to you, Node, on writing with offers. I've been writing a a lot of with offers on uh, the Nifty portal. So I'm just wondering when do I get IP of uh, Thomas Dubois' awesome work because I've got some ideas here. Yeah, Nick just tweeted out that uh, we're going to give oh, up IP not, rights. What do you not think, for, Nick? Not, not for Thomas Dubois' piece. No, that'll be on our PFP, and I'm excited for no one doing literally anything with it because it's <laughs> the biggest bullshit I've ever heard. Wait, no, Nick, you didn't hear every restaurant within a 10-mile radius of Bored and Hungry has shut down because the demand, when they found out it was, it was a Bored <laughs> restaurant, they just, like, every, there, there are no more restaurants in Long Beach except for the Bored restaurant. It's all shut down because people found out that it was a board eight restaurant. They didn't even care how the burgers tasted. They just saw that it was a board eight burger and they just rushed over there. Not not throwing shade at the quality of the, the burgers. Uh, I haven't excuse me, eaten them, but I've heard very positive things. Um, but yeah, this is like the biggest joke ever. You, like you, you've heard very positive things about their burgers. Yeah, yeah, from a bunch of bored apes posting about it. So I have no idea. Like it, it is a bias. Like like just a, like a real high quality smash burger, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like they're going to be competing with Five Guys or something like that, from what I hear. But uh, more, more ape-like. Uh, I think they're actually putting up chunks of apes inside of their endangered apes, actually, that they've been cooking up in there. But uh, very rare. The bored apes are cannibalizing all of Long Beach and North Orange County, one burger at a time. Restaurant tours beware, ladies and gentlemen. What a show today! This was a banger. That always pumps me up. Well, guess what? We'll be back tomorrow. We do the show Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, each and every week where we talk all things NFT market. Check out Easy Show, Solana Made Easy, on Twitter Spaces today at 5 p.m. We'll also be on YouTube the hour before that at 4 p.m. Catch you guys next time.